to the Four Jack Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season five of the Four Jack Podcast, powered by our friends over at Galvin Green. Galvin Green is the number one technical golf apparel brand preferred by every professional tour. They're famous for designing high-tech elevated golf apparel for every golfer, male or female, to feel invincible under all conditions. Head over to galvingreen.com and get dialed in for the 2023 season. A massive thank you to our community that continues to support and share in our success. Throughout season five, you can expect more untold stories, more amazing guests, and a deeper dive into how golf truly impacts, connects, and is celebrated by many. This is going to be a really fun episode tonight. I am truly excited to give our listeners a peek behind the creative curtain. But before we check in with tonight's special guest, we're going to head down to warmer climates and check in with the AGM, Mr. D Lane. What's happening in SoCal today? Another beautiful day in heaven. Um, excited for this one. This is one of the ones you and I talked about a few weeks ago. You know, we always love to have different things. And, you know, in the last few weeks, we've had guys from the biggest country western label in the world. And then we had the, the gentleman that's working for and creating all these great shit with their body. And now we're going to go a completely different way in golf. And I was lucky enough to meet our guest when we first opened Rolling Hills. He was kind of understanding what our vision was and, and he was on Fairfax at the time. So uh, I think we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I think we'll do a lot of listening on this one. He's got stories among stories and we know how we love music on this podcast and kind of try and weave that into a lot of today's world and try to be a little different. But more importantly, we really are lucky because we've just had such a great run of guests and it continues this week. It's exhausting, man. This is a <laughs> Pandora's box of guests this week. It really is. Without further ado, the 4Jack podcast is extremely excited to host one half of the creative inspiration behind probably the coolest golf lifestyle brand in the market today. Identified as the perfect combination of hip and bougie, mega golf guy. Now you can find him on his own podcast, the Par 3 Podcast with Ben Baller and J.R. Smith. Please welcome to the show the legendary Mr. Stephen Malbon. What's up? There he is. What's up, dude? What's happening? I like the, uh, I, le- I love the uh, hip and bougie. Let's go. It's like a rap song. <laughs> it's like you're banking Frank Frank one one five one, right? Yeah, bad and bougie. It's perfect. I, I gotta say, welcome to the chaos that is podcasting, my friend. What the hell inspired you to dive into the dark side of media? Well, I, I started my career in doing media and publishing first in magazines, et cetera. And then I did a ton of work through video and storytelling and content and working for people like Toyota and Nike. And um, it all started from, from you know, media, really. Um, and so the podcast thing, like, I have a hard time talking about anything other than golf. So when, I, when JR and them asked me, did I want to do it? I thought it and thought, well... You know, it won't be hard to talk about golf, so let's give it a run. See what, see where it goes. So it's, it's been fun, yeah. But I'm, I'm learning it. It's a bit of a uh, uphill battle, Derek. I would say sometimes it's. Uh... Yeah, well, you know, and the thing that I that I love the most, and I think he's got two really good ones around him, that he's not going to be like anyone else, right? So there's enough people talking about live, and enough people talking about stealth drivers, and all the other boring bullshit in the world. And the one thing you know about Steven, if there's something he's going to talk about, he's about as addicted to the game as anyone I've ever met. And it does revolve around that thought process. And, 
the angles he takes, I think, will allow him to be a little different in the podcast world as well. And as I liked, as you said, they just fire right in, right? Like just start, go, and let's just get after content. And I have a big, big spot in my heart for that because, as you know, we're we're not going to go down certain avenues that we talk about. We don't want to be like others. And the great thing about him is he's never going to be like anybody else. That's a guarantee. Yeah, it's a good group of people you have. So what kind of brought that cohesive mix together? We're all uh, represented in some way or another with by Excel, Excel Sports Marketing. And um, Ben, Ben, who I've been friends with for like 20 plus years from fashion and kind of like, like non-golf stuff, Ben started golfing around eight or nine months ago, and I hooked him up with my swing coach, Ron Del Barrio. And... Um, you know, we've just been f- even kind of, I guess, you know, obviously closer friends now that he got the golf bug and keeps telling me how low his handicap is. And I'm like, dude, you want your handicap high, not low. You know, there's like a lot of things that we're we're working through as friends and uh, when it comes to golf. And then JR is on Excel as well. And obviously JR is like a super unapologetic representation of himself and always has been through his basketball career and now with golf and he's playing on the college golf team and um so it just really came to that uh they kind of put it together ben's production company who does ben's other podcast are the guys that are are kind of the the lead on all of the production and excel is helping us we're doing it up at at the excel office in hollywood and it's uh it's just a matter of like scheduling the three of us as hosts together and if we're lucky enough, we'll get a guest, you know, here and there. But um, yeah, it's been fun. We've done, uh, I think we just did our fifth one today, came out with Gary Sheffield and Gary's amazing. It was a fun one. So it's like sitting there and talking to Ben Baller, who's only been golfing for eight or nine months. J.R. Smith, who's been golfing for like 12 or 13 years, and literally he practices more than all three of us because he's on the college golf team, you know? So it's like his job to go practice for like six, seven hours a day. And then myself, and I've been playing since I was like, you know, 12 years old, or turning 47 soon. So I've been playing a really long time. So it's like three different people from three different walks of life that are all obsessed with golf at different times in our golf careers. I love, so makes- I love Ben's opening question for that pod too. He's like, "What's what's better, man? Smashing a home run or smashing a drive?" Yeah, right. Like, well, it depends who's pitching, right? So exactly, or who's watching when he's golfing, <laughs> right? Yeah, who's standing on the first tee announcing names? That could be a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah, and I, I I hit him right off the bat with the, I asked him. His son came in with him, so his son came in and his wife. And they had just played somewhere. So um, Gary Sr. was like, I got to use the bathroom. So he runs in. And we were at a hotel room shooting it in Arizona. So he runs in the bathroom and he's like uh, taking a piss. And so I say to his son, I said, are you uh, you beating your old man? You know, and then Gary from the bathroom yells, hell no. <laughs> it's like He's a very competitive uh, guy, you know, and he explained that too. Did you hear how he... He flipped it. I said, so is your son giving you strokes yet? He said, you're going to start the interview by disrespecting me. That's real talk, though, man. I mean, you got to you got to protect the house because, you know, his kid's coming for him, right? He's no doubt. I'm sure he's hungry to beat dad. So 
that. He's like 25, you know, hits a 340, obsessed. And then, you know, he started playing when he was younger because he had different um, opportunities than Gary Sr. had when he was little. So Gary started, you know, at the end of his baseball career where his son started as like, you know, teenager or preteen. Yeah, a little bit earlier in the game for sure. You you, you sort of get better habits when you're a little bit younger and you're a little bit more yeah. apt to taking risks and hitting shots that maybe older senior Gary wouldn't be uh, trying to execute on the golf course. Let's uh, let let's talk a little bit about the east to west move because we know you're you were home based on the east coast, kind of growing up there. Maybe talk us through some of your early life adventures. Um, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, Virginia. I started playing tennis first when I was like um, 10, 10 to 12. I played tennis. I got a job at a golf course, a municipal course or, or a semi-private course called Hell's Point in Virginia Beach. It was a um, Pete Dye course, super marshy, um, long, quite good course. And I ended up working there when I was around 12 and 13. My dad got me a job there working, you know, cleaning carts in the cart barn and picking up balls on the range. And so I was the youngest guy working there and I wanted to, you know, fit in or whatever, like any any tween or would when you're working with a bunch of teenagers. And uh, they were all golfing where they'd go out at, you know, you could work like seven to two. Or you could work two to closing, and and it was one of there was only two time slots where you could work. So, uh, if, I liked working in the morning because a lot of those guys would have hangovers and such. But I was so young that like on the weekend, if I could work that seven a.m., then I could get off at two, hit balls until like three thirty or so, and then they'd let me go out and play. And um, so that's basically where I learned how to play golf and and kind of got addicted to to golf my earliest swing thoughts are like Yvonne Lindell um cross hand cross court winner backhand so he's a lefty tennis player and I uh, I started I had a natural draw when I started playing golf because I literally was like hitting a top spin cross court winner if I was lefty that was the entire thought and like I said I had played tennis and I realized I knew how to like hit an approach shot, which is like a low cut or like a high lob, top spin lob. So I realized that spinning the ball kind of comes off of your right shoulder. And by using your body to position the tennis racket or to position the golf face, the club of the golf face. So that was kind of it. And like I used to go pick the range every night when I'd work the afternoons and evenings. And you could either pick the marshy side of the range left and right. You could pick it with uh, there's too much water in there. So you couldn't drive the cart and push balls and pick them up. So I, you know, they have those tubes, the like the tubes that you walk and pick the balls up. <clears throat> or you could just take a seven iron and just like hack balls out of the woods. And so that was really the beginning of my golf career. Um I I played in some tournaments. I played on the junior high school team. And then when I was 16, I quit golfing pretty much and did other things that were the opposite of golf. Um, and then I dropped out of high school when I was 17. I moved to Colorado. I didn't golf there. Obviously, I was snowboarding and working at like retail stores and stuff like that in Colorado. And then when I went to art school in Atlanta, I had pissed my family off because I dropped out of high school and moved to Colorado. And so they weren't being very helpful with my college 
um, went back to school for visual communications and art and design. And so I started caddying in Atlanta. And that is the second time I got addicted to golf because immediately all the caddies were like, hey, we get to play every Monday. We play 36 holes. We gamble. Are you in? Yep. I'm in. Line me up. Love that. That got me to um, probably around 20 years old. I then abandoned golf again. I moved to New York City and did the kind of ad agency, media, publishing, marketing, background gig with music and entertainment and art and fashion stuff. Um, I left golf alone. Then I picked up an account, Scion account, when Toyota launched the youth brand. Um, kind of like they have Lexus as their more their more bougie car and <laughs> yeah the bougie Lexus Toyota had and they also had the hip Scion car and Scion was like youth uh, R&D research and development company basically built as a car company so that Toyota could really try risky non-traditional marketing advertising um, initiatives going through tons of different subcultural music and art and fashion and kind of more like grassroots and underground type of movements because Toyota is so mainstream, right? So it was a way for them to test marketing campaigns and such, and then use those learnings to sell more, you know, Camrys or Tacoma trucks or whatever it is. So when I did that, we picked up that account. Um, and that was one of our, it was our biggest account because car companies spend a lot of money and um, their headquarters were in Torrance, California. So I lived in New York City, but I would fly out constantly and stay in hotels in Hollywood and I would drive down to um, Torrance. And then eventually I moved from New York to LA to better service Toyota. And also, um, you know, I'd done New York for like 10, 12 years and it was, uh, it's like a sentence, you know, it's like I did a 10 year bid in New York and I was ready to like go to Hollywood and sit by pools and Freedom. yeah. <laughs> okay. So then I was in LA, I moved to LA. Um, I was working, going back and forth from Torrance and Hollywood, still running the magazine, but also doing a ton of stuff for Toyota, for Scion, some stuff for Lexus, some stuff for Toyota at that point. And, um, I just kind of like got burned out on a lot of stuff. I got burned out on like New York. I got burned out on partying. I got burned out on like selling, you know, hip cars to like young hipster crowds and like where I would do events for Toyota. And I was like, I didn't even want to be there type of feeling. And, and you know, I'm being paid to do it, to do, to produce the event, make the content and the whole nine. And I just started to outgrow it. And um and then, and then Erica was pregnant with Remington and I was out partying and doing everything else. And uh, I basically told her I would, you know, not drink until she had the baby because we're in this together. And, and um, I used golf as I re I kind of swapped one addiction for another and, and started playing it like Angeles national almost every day by like 705 i'd be teeing off and you know it gets cold in la man i remember going out there at seven in the morning all winter long and like they'd give me the little heated cart with those uh cup holder heaters in it and then hand warmers and the, and the cover and all of that uh madness but i just used golf as like 
you know, it's it's an obsessive, addicting thing, right? Golf, and so that golf, it that at that point, I started go- playing golf pretty much every day, and uh, somewhere around the lines, I started an Instagram page where I started posting tons of kind of culturally weird golf, historical and putty futuristic looking golf images as like a mood board. I looked at it. I just someone sent me the first the first post on Mob and Golf, like a fan, like asked, what is it? And the first post on Instagram for Mob and Golf was in February 2012. And I took the photo while I was at Turtle Bay on the North Shore. And it was a lake with like a hundred golf balls or something in it. And funny story, one of the guys I was playing with, he wasn't playing, he was just with us. And I said, hey, why don't you walk in there and get those balls out of there, you know? And he walked in and it was quicksand. And so he went straight to his shoulders in quicksand and we had to use like three irons to pull them out of the of the, <laughs> of the water. Almost a man down out there. That's scary. We almost lost them. <laughs> you mentioned a magazine earlier. What What is 151? Talk to us about the whole creation of the mag. So I took an electronic pre-press class at the Art Institute in Atlanta, and I had to learn how to format electronic press for for printing. And in that, we had to design a little pamphlet or a magazine. So it started off as like a uh, club guide in Atlanta with underground clubs. This was pre-internet. And so it would cover, you know, drum and bass and hip hop and, and, and reggae and roots and all types of different kind of obscure music groups. And um, I did that for shit, 10, 15 years. We published, we published all over the world and back. And each one had a different guest curator at some point because my Rolodex kind of roll ended after a few years of doing it just in Atlanta. We were sending a lot of copies to New York and Southern California to get advertisers. So like surf skate brands in LA or in, in, in like San Diego, Orange County. <clears throat> and then, you know, ad agencies and record labels in New York City. So we were sending tons of these pocket sized magazines out of Atlanta trying to get ads for an Atlanta guide. And along the way, I realized I had a really great product, but it was a very, very small focused audience in Atlanta. Like there were only so many like uber cool people in Atlanta, but I realized that like every single market in America has like an underground kind of music scene and, you know, a a certain area where that type of magazine could be handed out at different record shops and, skate shops and things like that and so we went national and then we ended up going global and i haven't done it in years um it kind of ended uh just probably in like 2010 or something but uh, i learned a lot doing it and i got to travel the world and i learned you know I, I i met and did interviews with literally thousands of artists and kind of gave a ton of people their first press into their careers um so it's it's definitely a legacy thing that I'm super proud of. And and um, that is what got me the gig with Toyota and with Nike and all of those people, because it was like back in like street team times where like brands would pay you to put up like posters in a market and you would go where all the like record shops are and the coffee shops, kind of like the, you know, like the East Village or Soho or something like that, where the, that counterculture, all the counterculture people were. And um, 
So that's basically how all that happened. And I learned and by then I learned and turned our little, you know, magazine into a marketing advertising agency where we would get hired by brands like Nike and HBO and Coca-Cola, like really big brands would come. And next thing you know, we'd be doing like a 10 city marketing campaign where we went and, you know, talent search, search for talent and then did, um, all types of stuff. But even when we launched Scion, this is like, I haven't told this story very often. We did a celebrity week at the um, Biltmore in Arizona, in Scottsdale. And we had like Mob Deep and Wu-Tang Clan guys. We had G-Unit people there, um, tons of like Hollywood celebrities and actors. And we launched a clothing brand for them called Release because Scion would do the car company, they would do special releases, which were kind of like a limited edition drop or something like a sneaker company would. And uh, we did a clothing line called release and it had like the logo was like two pistons and it had like all types of reference to like the interior of the car or the interior of the engine. So all of the car was used as the, as my um, fashion inspiration for the collection and i did like very much like a golf brand and we had a golf tournament and fashion shows and such in arizona so that was that was a walk down memory lane <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty dope well and you know one of the things that we try to talk about on here and is that real is hard to cover up right and so we we've been in the podcast space for a little bit and we've tried to kind of differentiate other ways but like the stories we just heard and, and Parks, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum is that there's the, the reason that some of this credibility sticks is because somebody's lived the life that we just heard. Right. So like you can't fake shit. The one thing I love about golf is you really can't fake anything. And as we kind of mature into the Fairfax and that part of the next story, I think one of the credibilities, like the first one of the first lines I brought into Rolling Hills when we opened is, is I met Steven and we actually brought Melvin in and we logoed Rolling Hills on it. We did some of those early prints and some of those early pieces. And it was, again, it was something different because I never want to conform to what West LA is. And, and again, it's so funny because you have some of the most socially conservative golf clubs in the world living in one of these great towns, the diversity is everywhere, right? I think that's unbelievable. And I think that that real is why we're talking about what we're talking about. And so while some of it might be tough, because I know you get asked a lot of questions a lot of the time, but one of the things that I really want to bring up is when we first met at Rolling Hills, the first thing he walked in is he took his hat off. He said, hello to everybody. And that's just not something I saw right away. Right. Like he knew and had the respect for the game, but then they had this whole different look. And I was always very appreciative of that. I just, it's something that I remember. And then we were lucky enough to have Remy in, in junior golf and some of those things at Rolling Hills, because he understood kind of where we were trying to move it to, but more importantly, he is who he says he is. And most of the time when you meet people and you're talking about some of these golf brands and they got to sell all this shit from whether it's Polo or whether it's, it's Fairway and Green or G4, everybody's got a different story and they all have space in this market. But most of the time, you know, like the brands I carry are the people behind them. And I'm a huge fan of Todd Martin and Peter Millar because he's just innovative in a way that he doesn't he doesn't do anything except treat people wonderfully. And he's got this unbelievable way to look around people. And, and it's this great kind of non-myopic thought process about how to treat people. And I, I always tend back to that. And one of the things that will always stick with me is that when, when Stephen came and played a couple of times, he always brought different people and they were always just like him. And the fact that they said, thank you, they were kind, they treated the golf cart. Well, 
They knew they were guests, but they knew that they were loved and they were welcome there. And I think that's one of the reasons that when we first were lucky enough, because when, when you said yes, I, I kind of I kind of preempted a little bit and I kind of you know told Parksy that this kind of thing is what I want to celebrate because when I went to the Fairfax store, I just saw what I wanted to see about golf, right? No pretense, diversity, nobody, everybody had a chance, everybody's hanging out. You saw skateboards. You saw all of these things. And I was only lucky enough to go twice because we were at the bar across the street. And Isabel was always such a great place, but it's like, that was always my thing. And talk a little bit about the inclusion and what LA meant to you when you got here and why Fairfax and that area and all of the things that ended up becoming what Melbourne is. Well, I guess that like, you know, like I grew up in the South, you know, I grew up in the South. I played um, golf as a junior. Um, I worked at golf courses very early and I realized that like, you know, I was raised with manners, right? So like being nice to people comes natural or, or, or something. Um, you know, I caddied in Atlanta and I caddied with like 30 different people and it was like the most diverse group of people you could put together in the south to caddy for a course that was the members weren't diverse right but like our caddy crew was and I golfed with all of them and I have some of the best memories ever um with those people but but going to Fairfax I was you know I have a I had a magazine and a marketing agency that was basically making a living off of art, music, fashion, skateboarding, and all of that stuff. And at the time, my first office when I moved from New York to L.A. was on Fairfax. So I had already been, that was my neighborhood, right? I lived right behind that that bar, restaurant, or whatever. I lived on, um, on Willoughby, near Willoughby and Fairfax. So that's where I lived. It was like a single man in, in Hollywood. So that was my neighborhood, like the coffee shop across the street from the um Malden Fairfax store that's like I had been going to that coffee shop for five years prior so I had an office on La Brea um that lease was up I was super burnt out and my wife's like you only like to talk about golf anyway you have an Instagram you know you're putting up five ten images a day I don't know why the hell you're doing it but like maybe we could turn it into a business. And I had already had Toyota's account and Nike Golf's account at the time. So I was working with Nike Golf and I said, hey, I wanna open up a, a like a little pro shop and I'm gonna get a simulator and I'm gonna put it right on Fairfax. And they, just like everybody else, I told the I2 idea was like, yeah, but no one golfs on Fairfax. Like golfers don't go to Fairfax. Like, are you sure you don't wanna open it in Brentwood? And I said, no, this is the point. We're going to open it on Fairfax. I know that's where like the most creative people in the world go up and down constantly, whether it be actors or directors or, or you know, artists and musicians and fashion people like that's where everyone is already. So if we're really trying to attract younger people to golf and people who aren't your quote unquote golfer to like introduce them to the game. Then let's open it on Fairfax. So we we got uh, uh, that space that you went to and they had a small pro shop in the front and we were lucky enough to meet the people at Full Swing Simulators. And um, I had a my agency kind of creative studio was in the back of it. And basically um, 
we started off by selling Nike apparel. We got a green gla green grass contract, probably the same one that, you know, every other course in America that sells Nike got. And we started selling Seamus head covers and Jones golf bags and um, Nike. And then I was going downtown and buying like close out blank champion sweatshirts and et cetera. And um, coming from a graphic design and graffiti and, and visual background, I, I made all the logos myself and those logos started getting crested or screen printed on different blanks, hats with Imperial, you know, just the same, the same basically thing that every pro shop does, but we did it in a more playful graphic with buckets, their character logo and then a very traditional font that's very much res very respectful to, to golf with our modern font and just use those two and started the branding process and use different goods. And I knew that like young people pay attention to fashion. And I knew that being on Fairfax, you would get young people in press and editors and different people would be able to like go, wow, like I golf's a little cooler than I thought. And so that was in like i don't know when 2017 maybe yeah, here and, we uh, opened. yeah so right about that time and i remember derek when you wrote a note on my instagram or on malvin golf instagram it was like hey i'm out here at, at rolling hills would love to have you guys and i flipped to your personal page and i saw you had posted a beastie boys photo and i was like oh i'm gonna fucking love this guy <laughs> actually a director of golf that likes the beastie boys like where are all these guys at you know there's not yeah. many of them yeah. trust me yeah thank god yeah touche what was the evolution of the store afterwards i mean what um, was the reception like must every, have been pretty cool yeah it was cool and then like hollywood's a hell of a place you know like so we had uh you know, like Justin Bieber and all of these people started coming into the shop, kind of entertainment worldwide, famous celebrity people came in just because there's like a golf simulator and they were already on Fairfax anyway. And as you know, if you're addicted to golf, it's like Justin Bieber would just come in by himself and be like, is it okay if I hit some balls? I'm like, you're fucking Justin Bieber. Like you can do whatever you want. Of course, <laughs> you know, go in the simulator. Like here's the hit, keys to the store. <laughs> yeah. Hit balls. Great. And, um, and then when since we were working with Nike Golf, they started doing really cool stuff with like helping us do activations where when like uh, Genesis Open was in town or things like that, they brought, you know, Tony Fina to the shop and Rory to the shop. And then I became friends with different people and, um, you know, Cameron Champ and all of these different Nike people started coming to the shop and we would do all, all types of like little cocktail parties and stuff um all the way throughout so we would do a collaboration with a skate brand and they'd invite 100 people and we'd invite you know 50 or 60 golfers from from the from the area and um it just started slowly like that and it it was basically like 95 we, we didn't even have an online store or anything it was just like a front for my studio my creative studio and at least when i had to take conference calls i could hit balls in the front versus um sitting in a conference room in the back you know this is a crazy culmination of your life this isn't just a golf brand this is like a representation of everything you've experienced this is crazy it's all i got you know that's <laughs> it this is literally i'm just dealing with the 
the wonderful cards I've been dealt. And I think, yeah, all of the life of, of doing marketing and promotions and media and events and nightlife and, you know, um, promoter for nightclubs and curating and getting different um, crowds through nightclubs and doing tours for Coca-Cola with talent searches. So like all of that stuff is what I have and I use daily when running the the golf brand well and i think the other thing is you get a lot of you get a lot of praise for a lot of the things you've done and the inclusion aspect and all of the other things but i think one of the things that goes unnoticed by a lot of people honestly steven is is it's probably a weakness and a strength probably i believe both so firmly in it. but the thing that i've noticed the most is the loyalty to you and to the people that you do the things with right and if you really go back into the history of this all, there are a lot of people that are still there. There are a lot of people you've included and a lot of people we've got both to know through golf. But I've always loved the fact that when you're on this kind of journey that you're on and you're doing what you're doing, and like Chris said, it's not a journey most people will ever truly know or understand. But the product of it all also has to do with the fact that when you throw events or you're in Florida and guys are flying from LA to go play in them or you're doing things at Rams Hill and you're doing things all over, it's really crazy the amount of people that follow the sun there and understand that kind of, shall we say, that that whole understanding of what it is you guys represent. And, and people feel really comfortable with that. People feel like that's someplace. And when you see people and they're tatted up or they've got clothes that might not look like everybody else and they go back and they go back to their six-figure jobs, some of them, and you never know what you're getting there. But I've noticed that a lot of the people that play and participate in things you do are that same core group of people. Talk to us a little bit about that group of guys. And obviously you're always going to have Q and a lot of these guys because they're well-known, but there's a really, really strong group of guys that you hang with and travel with that really would understand this journey and mission that you're on. Yeah, we used to do Friday golf, so I didn't have any friends that golfed. And then eventually um, I started golfing in LA with like a handful of friends that I met from random just like, oh, you golf? Like, oh, shit, let's go play. You know, I'm playing Angeles National at 7.05 every day in the next month. If you're, if you're in, you know, I'd love to have warm. To freeze to death with, yeah. Um, but then I started golfing with all the skateboarders, basically, in L.A. So Eric Costin and Tim Gavin and Sean Motto, um, you know, Sean Motto and Eric Costin are both already been on the podcast, right? So, like, it's kind of like our, like, 12-person Friday golf just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. through these golf clubs and this community. And all of those people still show up because it's, like, it's still Friday golf, you know? Like, it hasn't really changed it's just instead of 12 of us, there's 120 of us. And instead of everyone being from, you know, the Fairfax little area, there's people from all over the world that are that are coming and playing in these tournaments. And um, I think the brand is like built off of the community, right? So like, that's the most important thing, I think that it's like, people feel welcome and people feel comfortable, whether they're, you know, a tattooed skateboarder with a chain wallet or they're a member of Bel Air Country Club. Like the guy at Bel Air wants to go just as bad as the tattoo guy wants to go because 
everyone's there to play golf. Everyone loves it just as much as the next guy or girl. And it's not, you know, there's juniors playing, there's women playing, there's people from every walk of life and everyone gets along and everyone has fun. And then the celebrity people, like no one cares that they're celebrities. Right. So like, it's not like, it's like we're all we've all done it together so long that it's like, yes, schoolboy Q's playing in the tournament, but like no one wants his autograph. It's like, oh, that's just Q. Like, I hope you I hope you don't have the yips today. You know, like it's like right. off. So it's like no one has time for like who you are. It's like, what are you going to hit over that lake on the par three that kind of deal? Yeah. I love that. It's it's the great equalizer. We talked about this well, Derek, multiple times. It's like regardless of your social stature, regardless of your skill set, whatever you bring to the table, when you step on the first tee, everybody's the same. And the problem is, is that what like what we know is so limited. Like if he was really being humble, he'd talk about what happens in the Asian boutique stores and what's going on over there is obviously I've got a very large Asian membership. And like that is it's almost it's almost a phenomenon. I mean, it's crazy when you go on and you watch and, you know, I'm always on Instagram uh, more looking for, I'm always looking for new styles. So like um, Choo Choo or Fair Liar, a lot of those brands that I'd love to wholesale if they could find a way over here. And then you see all of them around these great, big, beautiful women, great, big Instagram pages. And there's always buckets somewhere. And it's just this thing where I think it's so much bigger than people realize that aren't necessarily West coast, East coast. That's not what I'm talking about, but we're talking ethnicity race diversity all of it's inclusive and and i think that you know when he goes over and he shows some of that stuff and i know you were just over there a few months ago like your your photographs over there are almost more alarming to me because there's so much more of it than there is even in la totally though we we have almost 40 stores in south korea we're getting ready to open three stores in tokyo um all of southeast asia is gone completely crazy so Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, I mean, all of Taiwan, Hong Kong, like all through China, like there's expansion and growth that's just, it's nuts, basically what's happening. And it's even like, it's crazy to me, you know, like it is like, it's humbling just to like, go to Korea, South Seoul, and walk around and see like people wearing buckets all over the place, and they don't know who I am. You know, and like I was uh, we just did a photo shoot with Yalimi with Yalimi. No, the the LPGA player who we signed our first yeah. player. And I was in the elevator. Um, we were in the elevator going to do a photo shoot. We were down in um, at uh, we were in Orange County, Laguna, Laguna. Yeah, Laguna. And basically in the elevator, there was like this random white couple, man, husband, wife. And the lady was like, oh, you guys are all wearing Marvin Goff. Like, I love Marvin Goff. Da, 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 da. And I'm just like standing there like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got off, uh, Yelemi was like, oh, you should have said like, like, well, like we are Marvin Goff. And it's like, I don't really say anything. So, yeah, there's, there's in Korea, there's there's about 15 freestanding stores. And then there's around 30 store in store in the malls in, in Korea. So they have one whole floor, like in the States, they'll have like the first floor of a, of a, of a, of a, of like a, a department store. It's all like cosmetics. So it has like every single cosmetic company there is. And they have these small um, store in stores. Right. And then in Korea, you know, there's, there's like, 
30 malls that we have at, on the fourth floor of every mall. It's basically a, an entire golf floor. Like the whole floor is all golf brands. So it's like G4 and Jay Lindbergh and um, A New and Wack and like every single brand there is Adidas, Nike, Callaway, TaylorMade. I mean, you name it. And so we have a store in basically every one of those uh, shopping shops as well. So it's a trip, man, going to the mall and like seeing people like going into those stores and seeing them like super busy and like, you know, husband and wife's coming in and leaving with like three bags each and like matching outfits. Uh, over here, we're launching women this spring. And um, so it's like 80% sales are men and 20% women here. But in Korea, it's 50-50. It's 50% women, 50% men. So that's why you see the wonderful Korean ladies rocking Marvin Goff when they come to Rolling Hills. Yeah, and there's a lot of it. Let's shift gears a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Erica and her sort of injection into this whole lifestyle and streetwear brand. <clears throat> She's, um, Erica is super, like she grew up in Beverly Hills and in Manila and then went to high school in Manhattan Beach. So Erica's very like, <laughs> She's very, um, you know, her, she's, she's traveled a ton. She stayed in the nicest hotels. Her mother loves caviar and shopping and, um, you know, high-end brands and fashion and skincare. And we started together a company called The Now, which was a, a wellness and massage uh, place in Hollywood. And that's now franchised out all over the all over the country, but she's really good with interior design. She's really good with like, you know, she, she basically I'll put on an outfit and she'll be like, you can't wear that. You know, like she's like very on, on, um, in her fashion stuff. And she reads a ton and she looks at every fashion magazine. And so she's also like a really, really good businesswoman. And, and, um, I kind of, I don't like talking about money very much, but she grew up in a, in a Jewish slash Catholic household where like, she's very comfortable talking about money and um, she's, yeah, there's no way we would be where we are without her. And now she's obviously like really into, you know, finances, but she's also very creative and, and has a lot of design talents and such. So she is um, designed our first U S women's collection that's coming out uh, in a few in a few months and it's really really cool but it's like you know it's the same for me like I started Malden Golf because like I would go to like the golf store and try to buy stuff and I would buy a dozen balls and a glove and be like that's all I want but I'd stay in there for two hours and like talk to strangers about the new Vokey wedges versus the wedge versus the you know tailor-made wedge and just like randomly addicted to golf talking to strangers about golf equipment and products and shoes and whatever the fuck so um i had a hard time buying all of the apparel that was there in in those stores and not only that like i never want to dress like i'm a golfer where i dress one way on the golf course and then i have to go change clothes to live the rest of my life and day so um I found most of the options of what you could buy at like a Roger Dunn or, or golf galaxy or whatever was like, you know, it's like what the tour players wear 
and the stuff is made for the tour and it's made for like brand logos to be put all over the chest and the arms and the here and there like you know i might love for sure you're right yeah yeah and so um i i would wear like stussy slacks and like you know ralph lauren and just like different stuff that i would already normally wear and i just knew that with golf it's like yeah you have to wear a belt yeah you have to tuck your shirt in and yeah you have to have a collar but like that's really the only rules and so i i um she was like let's let's start making some products you know and so now she's done it again with the with the women's line and it's a little more tennis and country club kind of vibes it's not your 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 you know typical golf brand but it is very like sophisticated and ele- elevated and chic it's not like kitty or or playful as sometimes the mob and men's side is can be i guess you could say it's the perfect combination of hip and bougie Going back, yes, he is as hip bougie yeah. as they get. Well, and Perfect. and some of the times it would be tough to be in a Melbourne photo shoot because mom and dad, when they want to get deep, mom and dad look good. Mom and dad know how to do photos. They know how to do camera yeah, work. Legit. She puts she puts it together. You know, you got you got to have she that loved- though. You got to have like you said. You can't walk out of the house looking like you got dressed in the dark. Mm-hmm. Love that. We're we're almost at that magic. uh hour mark Stephen, and we've been obviously blessed with you sharing some stories and, and you're gracious with your time i guess my final question of the evening for you and, and maybe i'll let derek throw one at you right after but we're heading into the first major championship of the year that and i gotta know who do you got for the masters who's your pick i don't i don't know I mean, obviously, I want Tiger to win, you know? <laughs> like, great, everyone else. like everybody else. Everybody on the planet <laughs> wants Tiger to win, for sure. Um, fuck, let's go Tiger. Let's. Who else could I cheer for, Thank you it. know? Tiger would be, you know, that's the only guy that'll win. If he wins again, will, will make me cry immediately. You know? So it's funny, like, when Tiger wins, it's like, when he won the Masters, I just remember the next day, like he was on the cover of every magazine in the world. Like, that's it. Like every magazine had Tiger Woods holding the trophy or, you know, fist pumping at Augusta when he won. It's like he's beyond. Right. He's like, yeah, he's just as big as it gets. So I'd love for uh, Tiger to make a little run down I like there. That. I like that. Derek, why don't you close it out? Well, we all know I'm going to try to always take it back to music. So in my world, it's it's what I say is like, okay, you're now in this great space. You're, you're in Carmel. You've you've accomplished a shitload of things, and you should be very proud of the brand and what it stands for, and who you guys are, and where it came. And so, for me, it's like it's like when the Cure does their 40th anniversary tour. I'm going anywhere to see it, or when something big from a band that I adore is going to happen, or if you know, for God forbid, the BCs ever went back out and found somebody to do you know, the part of the one that is no longer with us. And and is there ever a point, do you think of a reunion tour, going to New York, getting back with a lot of the media side of it, the entertainment guys, like, do you ever really miss or think you might just give it one more run with a magazine or do something different? Are you always keeping those things open? Or do you feel like the space you're in now is kind of, kind of what you occupy from here going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm just doing it through 
you know, in, in doing it for my own brand versus doing it for brand partners. And we do have great brand partners, like still, you know, Nike and Adidas and, um, we're starting some stuff with Lexus and we're working with American Express. And so most of the stuff we do is still focused on content first. So it's like, yeah, we can make a polo. Great. But like, what are we going to do with it? Well, how are we going to shoot it? Who's going to wear it? You know, I, I design like, you know, you, you'll have a, I'll have a dream. Like I have a collection coming out, uh, mob and golf and tackle club. And that is a dream that I'm going to play golf one one uh afternoon with michael jordan after i go deep sea fishing and go catch a few mahi or marlin or something on his boat that morning so like what can i wear fishing saltwater fishing in the morning that i can just go straight to his golf course and play golf in that afternoon because in the dream i have to wear clothes you know and it's (laughs) i just collection that will follow so i think it's the same thing you know, I, I love going out to New York. I love going to the Hamptons and playing golf. So it's just, uh, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that much different. I'm just doing it for myself and for a different group of people and storytelling still like, you know, the base of everything, community storytelling. And then obviously with community storytelling, you need products. Well, and, and golf is the one thing in my life that's the constant that always craves for expression, right? So whether you do it traditionally, conservatively, or, or in different ways, it just that's the one great thing about this sport is how you do it from whether you're on, you know, obviously we're going to probably say pay homage to the greatest expressionist there was in Palmer coming up this week and, you know, colors came out and swashbuckling and all those things. But I do love that this game allows so much room for expression and, you know, I think it's funny you said you tuck your shirt in because I'm calling bullshit on that. Um, nah. I don't think that's ever happened. But more importantly, I do know that if you continue in the space you're in with what you're talking about, I thought that was a great answer saying you feel still like if you're if you're truly expressing who you are and who those around you are, I think you're always going to be really comfortable and I think you'll be very successful. So I, I tip my hat to that. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I'm not a traditionalist in a lot of ways and I'm a traditionalist above all else and others. So I think there's got to be that yin and yang in life. And I think golf's no different, right? You sometimes have to play with your buddies with tennis shoes and three clubs. And sometimes you got to go out and compete with a full bag. So I, I, I really do revel in the fact that there are people out there that still have visions and God bless you for doing that. Thank you, man. God bless you guys. And thank you everyone for for hanging out with yeah, us. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing some stories and sharing your time. It's definitely going to be eye opening for our audience. And now understanding there's a movement, there's there's a vibe, there's a lot of depth to to where this comes from, the creative sort of injection and the passion behind it. So continued success. Thanks again so much for being on the show tonight. It's been a pleasure. You guys have fun. Keep at it, Derek. Right. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, call me in LA. You know you're always welcome. You're the best. All right, cheers, See my friend. You.